Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I am your host, Farron, and I'm joined once again by someone who is just too old for this shit. I think, I'm, I think I'm obligatorily obligated to say that I'm getting too old for this shit. Well, that's twice. If we could say it two more times over the course of this episode, we'll have beaten their count by one. Well, do we at least have to say it three times apiece to, you know... Yeah, but I don't want someone like driving through my front door and that's that I mean that's fair. I do we have to fight it. each other under mm. a hail of of shitty no. fire hydrant water? No, and... I I think that you just need to get belligerent with me for mental health issues and I need to um... throw us both off both off the roof. Yeah, something like that. Okay, cool, cool. So so we're doing lethal weapon. <laughs> and it premiered on the 6th of March 1987. It was directed Oops, sorry. I, t- I set off my Google. Nice. That's so annoying. Uh it was so yeah, so it premiered on the 6th of March 1987. It was directed by Richard Donner, who did Superman 1. He started Superman 2 but then got fired. Right. He did Lady Hawk, which is a great medieval story with a shitty funky soundtrack. <laughs> but he also did The Goonies. Hmm. But with, you know, Spielberg on the set, like, eh, how yeah. much directing are you actually doing? Yeah. Um, it was written by Shane Black, who we've encountered before. He was the nerdy special ops guy from Predator. Right. He's written a bunch of these movies. In fact, he um, he did a lot of the rewrites for Predator, it turns out. Oh, really? Uh, that's why they cast him, so he could be on set to do rewrites, sure. it turns out. That makes sense. Um, he's, a shit, he's a shit writer. I'm sorry. I, I hate to say it, but he's terrible. Yeah. The movie The Predator was yeah. awful. Yeah. But, but like I said before... Prey, the one done in Comanche, that's amazing. So it stars Danny Glover, Mel Gibson, and Gary Busey before he went actually crazy. Well, uh, before just, a couple of them went actually crazy. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's true enough. <laughs> uh, D- Danny Glover, I don't think, has has degraded into anti-Semitism or any such thing. Not so to think, the best of my knowledge. Yeah, I so, think Danny Glover's still one of the safe people that yeah, we can so, talk so. about. So this is rated R, and it cost $15 million to make, the standard. Yeah. It made 120.2, so that's pretty that's, good. That's a pretty good ROI. You know, and I was kind of curious how the others did, because yeah. there's been four of them, right? Sure. So I looked it up. So the first one, cost 15, made 120. That's eight times its... That's an eight times ROI. That's pretty yeah. good. Um, Lethal Weapon 2 cost 30, so double. Made 227.9, so a little less, 7.6 times. But still, that's a lot of money. That's still, yeah. Lethal Weapon 3, for 5 million more, 35, they made 100 million more. Okay. 321. Hmm. And then they got arrogant. Mel Gibson was paid 30 million bucks, the budget for the second one. He was paid 30 million bucks for Lethal Weapon 4. It cost 140 million. It literally cost more than the other three put together. Holy shit. And it only made 285. Yikes. Guess what? That was the last one they made. Yeah. So, well, well, by now. Yeah. Well, for the second one, they added Joe Pesci, mm-hmm. and then he became a star in the third one, and yeah. they added Rene Russo, and she became a star in the fourth one. Mm-hmm. So it, it became one of these things, sort of like the Fast and the Furious movies, where they just yeah. keep adding and adding and adding mm-hmm. characters to the point where you're not sure what you're watching anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I actually watched Lethal Weapon 2 today. Because I, I, you know, you remembered bits and pieces of it, like the thing with the straitjacket. Yeah. And I remembered the bomb on the toilet. Oh, yeah. So I figured I'd watch it. And I got bored, actually, about halfway through. I'd seen enough, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. But, like, it's a very different film, despite the fact it's the same director. I Uh didn't check if it was the same writer, but they kind of clearly realized what worked and what didn't. Because this is a dark movie. Yeah, it is. It touches on a lot of really, really heavy subjects. But then doesn't deal with them. It deals with oh, like no. 80s movies. You yeah. Know? Uh, the second movie went, oh, he's not psycho. He's just kooky. Yeah. You know? 
Oh, we uh, got rid of that character trait at the end of the first movie. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. not he's not psychotic anymore because that's no. the way mental health works. <laughs> uh, yeah. So had you, you'd see, you mentioned you'd seen this before. Yep. When do you figure you saw it? Oh goodness, I saw it sometime in the sometime in the 2010s. I'm sure that I probably seen it before in the 2000s. It's it's not a movie that I go back and I'm like, oh man, you know, I really want to watch Lethal Weapon again. Oh, yeah, you know, lethal weapon. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I I saw the second one and immediately realized they had already like in the first five minutes of the film, like okay, they've settled into a franchise. Yeah. Because of course, one of the funnier things here is him chasing a car on foot. Mm-hmm. They literally start the second film that way. Yeah. And the fact that Murtaugh's house keeps getting wrecked becomes like it, it becomes. There are all these running jokes, and the I'm too old for this shit becomes a running joke. Yeah. But. But then you look at the money that it made, and clearly someone was watching these. A lot of um, someones. You know, I think I saw the second and the third ones in theaters, and then I just got bored. Ah. Uh, but then, you know, I grew up in the 80s, man. So this is, like, all there's so many action films. Yeah. You know? But, you know, like I was saying during the film, you know, there have been many, there were many buddy cop video uh, mm-hmm. movies before and many after. But this is pretty much the template. Yeah. It's by far the best. It really sets the tone for what a buddy cop movie is supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, you got the straight man and the comedy. I mean, Jesus, that goes back to Abbott and Costello. <laughs> yeah. You know, Abbott's the straight man, yeah. Costello is the goofball. Yeah. Because when you have two goofballs, then what you really get is the Three Stooges and no one... If everyone's funny, no one's funny. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is watching the straight man react. And, you know, I mean, that works in MASH. Not everyone is meant to be funny. You know, most comedies are like that. And this is as much comedy as action. Where it starts to lean in that direction. Here, I don't think the comedy part, some parts I think we said worked well. Yeah, there are some but, bits that it's it's a genuinely funny moment. But no one, neither of us was howling out loud. No. Maybe that happens more to do, has more to do with your sleep-deprived nature and the fact that I'm pretty deprived as well. How no. Many, how many I, cups I of coffee on there t- today? Oh, this is two, three, three. Two. Three? Three. I've yeah. had three. Oh, I'm excellent. Home. So I had an energy drink earlier in the day. But oh, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, like it's, you know, there's things we notice like the hand cannon sound effects. Yeah. The hip fire. Everyone shoots from the hip. Everybody of shoots. Despite for the fact that these are all, like all the really serious bad guys, mm-hmm. actually all of them, they're all soldiers from Vietnam. Yeah. Apparently, in, in in Vietnam, no one used the right. gun sights. I don't well, know. I mean, so is, so is Gibson, and he he hip fires the whole day. Yeah, so. it's just yeah, and it just seems so silly, but whatever. So, <laughs> but but you know, Richard Donner, you know, proof that he could make like the the first Superman. The first half is very serious. Mm-hmm. And the second half is serious, but also quite campy. Yeah. You remember Superman, the movie? Yep. Yeah. And Superman 2, he did all the really serious parts okay. before they fired his ass. Right. But, I mean, and Lady Hawk has humor in it and Goonies. Well, of course, I mean, yeah. Goonies, right? It's, yeah. like, it's more comedy than action. It's the standard for kids on bikes. Right. So he knows how to do these films. Like, I don't think someone who did, like, Commando or Paul Verhoeven who did Total Recall or... Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who did, uh, the kooky guy who did uh, Red Dawn. Oh, yeah. Um, and also did Conan the Barbarian, both of which we did. I can't remember his name suddenly offhand. Like, I don't think they would have, I don't think this movie would have worked for them. They're all too grim. Yeah, it it needed a touch of levity. I mean, not, not that this had, you know, like we said, no laugh out loud moments, but 
it had points where it looked at itself and went, okay, that's silly. Yeah, there's there's sort of smile parts. Yeah. And Donner knows how to play that without beating over the head. Look, that's funny. Yeah. You know, in the second one, I said they leaned a little more into the comedy. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to do all four of them. No. So not a gunpoint. No. Um, even hand cannon point. <laughs> so it takes place in Los Angeles and it starts off with a great view of the city. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to go through this for a change. For a change. Well, you know what? other episodes. You know? We haven't done it for a while. Yeah, Let's do it again. Exactly. And we get to see our first 80s boobs. So we're yeah, in, right off the rim. Right off the rim. Hot blonde babe. Drunk. Uh, yeah, stoned. You know, stoned. Takes a snort of cocaine. Uh, well, they, said it, they said it was barbiturates later on. Was it? I thought, well, I mean, they made it look like cocaine. but Oh, I'm, they sure make I, it look I'm, like cocaine. Admittedly, I'm not really big on the street drug thing. Yeah, I, fair enough. Yeah, I, I tend to go with a 7% cocaine solution. I, I, I like the whole Sherlock Holmes thing. I just yeah. inject it right into my veins. Well, of course. No, not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I go for bath salts. Bath salts. Oh, boy, faces. Yum, yum, this yum, little yum. thing? Uh, they're around. They're just not the, the sexy, glamorous drug that the news is talking about anymore. Yeah, you're not even, you're not, you're not attending a faces eaten off or anything like no, that. No, I couldn't tell you that I've had uh, anybody's face eaten off. <laughs> I tell d- you, there's d- lots d- of others. Yeah, stuff, but... <laughs> d- d- different podcast. Yeah. Um, so she takes some sort of drug and hangs out on the, uh, you know, looks like the 20th floor of an apartment building. Mm-hmm, something um, like that. We get to great view of her boobs again, of course, yeah. and she commits suicide and she lands conveniently, like, Back yeah. down, face up on top of a car, yeah. with the with her uh, her negligee tastefully not covering her boobs, so we get the, the R rated, <laughs> but covering everything else. Yeah, very convenient. Yeah, still um, in one piece, I might add, after falling twenty floors. Yeah, they people they tend to break apart at that a little bit. Yeah, yeah I, I think probably we're happy that we didn't get to see that. Oh, for sure. Um, and then we get to see a suburban house the next morning, and Danny Glover, all bearded up, sitting in a bath, and his whole family, kids and everything, storms in. Because no. as you pointed out, that's what... Let, let, let's go check out Dad nude in the, sh- in the bathtub. Right. It's hey, just like, like... That's how you want to start the day. You're trying to relax and take a bath, and, and oh, here come the kids and the wife. Okay, hi. Yeah, exactly. They're tasteful bubbles, though. Yeah, so tasteful, it's, at it's least fine. a few of them. Yeah, they they're... probably could have added more, but again, I'll ask the question, who starts their work day off with a bath? I don't know. You can tell that this is definitely like the fourth take that they did for that because those bubbles are faded and they are very yeah thin. yeah <laughs> the, fir- the first one he was probably covered up to the neck oh or for sure yeah but uh, you think they would have added some more bath can you imagine how how cool that water must have been he oh have, yeah he must have been very happy to be done with yeah. that yeah so he you know it's his birthday it's his 50th birthday isn't that awesome what the hell is this that's oh, the dog. okay. For a minute, it looked like a blood spot on her yeah, sheet. Yeah, I thought so, too. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just a dog running across the sand. And we get to see, you know, Martin Riggs, that's the Mel Gibson character, living in a trailer on the beach with his dog. Yeah. And he's pretty hard-bitten. But don't say, ladies, that uh, the movie doesn't provide anything for you. We've got boobs for the guys and Mel Gibson's ass back when he was fit. Hey, he's a uh, good-looking dude. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll give him that. He's, yeah. he's, he's fit. Yeah. He's pretty, like I said, he's pretty hard-bitten. He had a you know, gun under his pillow yeah. and... Uh, he starts off the morning with whatever beer he was working on and a oh, cigarette, yeah. the whole nine yards. That's pretty amazing. We go back to uh, <clears throat> Roger Murtaugh's house. That's Danny Glover. There's a whole lot of kids in the house. Yeah, he's got three kids. Yeah, but there's a lot of kids in the house. Like yeah. all of their friends show up oh, to yeah, get yeah, fed. Yeah. Like, well, this, that's the running bag, gag here, too, is that they constantly have the kids, like, all the neighbor kids are over at their house. But you know what? I, I was never uh, big on having friends over, but I knew people who, you know... Their neighborhood was always like the kids were always in a given house, and mom said, "Are you staying for breakfast? Let me know now so I can cook more." And mm-hmm. you know, but that's okay. I was socially awkward when I was a kid too. Yeah, I, yeah. 
<laughs> Are you suggesting I'm socially awkward? Never. Never, never. As I hide here in my room. Um, no. So, you know, he comes out for breakfast and he's asked, do you know some guy named Murtog? He left a... He left no, a it was, wasn't Murtog. No, not Murtog. That's his uh, name. Hunt, uh, Hunt something? Huntsta- Huntsanger? Hunts- Huntstetter? Huntstetter, Huntsanger, something like that. Do you know a man named uh, Michael Huntsacker? Michael Huntsacker. Jesus, Michael Huntsacker. What did he want? Your office called. He's been trying to reach you for three days now. Yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah, I knew him in Vietnam. Oh, 12 years. I don't remember yeah. that name. Obviously, they weren't that close if you can't remember the goddamn name. And it's like, oh, yeah, I recognize that name for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's called, and then you know, next thing we see is that he's pulling up to the, the scene of what is obviously the suicide. We get to talk to Dixie, who is a still pretty strung out prostitute who saw the whole thing. Mm-hmm. She, he sends her home. We don't ever think much about it. Of course, she'll yeah. become important later. Yeah. I can't help but think a movie today would have taken a lot of these strings that are in there and probably would have woven them a little more tightly. Yeah. We tend to like complexity more now. This is a simple 80s cop movie. Yeah. So he, he talks to, I I don't think it's a coroner. I think it's just another detective. Yeah, I think it's just another detective um, who just happens to be there. Yeah, who mentions the name of the you know the kid. And of course, it's Mert. It's, it's Dumber Talk. Huntsanger, whatever. Murder, the, yeah. the guy who called this morning and turns out this is their daughter. He makes a call, gets some information. I don't even remember what information it was. I think it was to his wife, wasn't it? No. Was it? Yeah, I don't His know. Wife, they, like, hey, what was the name of the guy who called this morning? Yeah, that. Okay, that's, that's right, right. That's right. Yeah, it's, and we were we were so busy marveling about this ancient cell phone. Yeah, uh, which conveniently later is the identical cell phone that the bad guys using because they only had one. All those things were a five six grand. It looks like the module off the back of the power glove. It does a little bit, doesn't it? But I'm pretty sure that's not what that was. <laughs> no, it so, it doesn't. It's just a yeah. happy coincidence. Yeah. And then we switch over to a uh, a Christmas tree farm where uh-huh. Martin Riggs, the, the Mel Gibson character, is doing a cocaine deal. And, you know, there's a cute thing. He says, you know, I'll take the whole thing. Okay, it's 100. And, of course, everyone knows it's 100,000. But he yeah. gets goofy. He says, oh, okay. And he pulls out his wallet, 20, 40, 60. And there's an argument. He says, how about this? Why don't you give it all to me? I'm a cop. That's not a real badge. And there's some shooting, because of course there is. Of course there is. And the one pops out from behind a tree. Yeah, one surviving guy. Yeah, and kills the other, kills his partner. Yeah. Um, that's that's a hell of a thing. But it ends with a hostage situation with the one surviving bad guy threatening to blow uh, Gibson's brains out. And he keeps screaming, kill me, kill me, kill me, kill me. Yeah, do me the favor, shoot me. Yeah. yeah. This is, like I think we mentioned, this is instance number one. We're 14 minutes in and we already mm-hmm. realize that Martin Riggs really doesn't belong on the force. Yeah, no, a mental health assessment would uh, quickly find that Martin Riggs is not suitable for uh, yeah, street patrol. Exactly. Like the fact that his own partners have to say it's not worth it, Riggs. It's yeah. not worth it. Like that's when you say, you know what? We're taking you in. Then he gets to go back home. We see him attempt suicide at the last minute. Say no. Yeah, well, he doesn't really attempt it. He, yeah, he, he contemplates just lo- he, it. He yeah, contemplates it by yeah. taking the special bullet and loading it directly yeah. into the chamber of his weapon, yeah. cocking the weapon and putting it in his mouth. He yeah, just, yeah, just, just, just considers it. He thinks it lightly. And he yeah. says, I'll see you later. It's the picture of his dead wife. Yeah. I'll see you much later. Oh, well, okay. Okay, so uh, that'll be a minute. Sure, yeah, that'll be, that'll be a hot minute. The next day, we immediately get to see the psychologist, like the department psychologist talking to the police captain saying he's a psycho. No, no, he's just bucking for a psych, mm-hmm. um, psych pay, psych pay, uh, you know, psych pension, I think is the term they yeah. use. And 
And it's funny, we both mentioned the same thing. She essentially chases him right to the bathroom door and closes, and the door says, man, and we both thought the same thing, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. It's the place that only the boys are allowed to be, and yeah. where only the boys can well, voice their yeah. opinions. Welcome to the, uh, welcome to the, the police in, a, in an 80s cop movie. Yeah. Yeah, not symbolic at all. No. And then we get to see Murtaugh, um, Danny Glover's character, who shaved his beard, we forgot to mention, because, it was get, because yes. his, his daughter had noticed while he was in the bath he had a gray beard. It made yes. him look old. Okay, whatever. He's told he has a new partner. And this is actually a genuinely funny scene where while he's talking to some other guy in his department and saying, oh, you've got a new partner, we see Mel Gibson let in, and he looks like this sketchy, like, like yeah. hobo. Yeah, he's wearing jeans, uh, a plaid shirt, and a ball cap, and then he pulls out a gun. And the guy yells, gun. And it, yeah, yeah, and Danny Glover yells, gun, gun. And the funny thing is, like, Mel Gibson looks around, where? Where? Yeah. <laughs> He's the one with the gun. It was really funny, and, yeah. and he winds up, you know, Murtaugh winds up on the on the ground with Riggs standing over him. Yeah. It, it's a it's a it's a pretty funny scene. It it's it's very understated. Yeah, uh, it's not the goofy scene that I think today would have been. Yeah, but uh, okay. Yeah. The the other thing that we get from that scene too is we find out that uh, it wasn't just a suicide at the beginning of the movie, but it was also a murder because right. the drugs that she the the woman was using were cut with. Uh, drain cleaner. Drain cleaner. Yeah. yeah. So she would have been dead in fifteen minutes if she, even if she hadn't yeah. jumped. And so now it's a murder. Yeah. And yeah. So Riggs and Murtaugh are walking at this point. Or they're walking through, you know, uh, through the parkade, and they start talking. And he has to. Murtaugh says, "You know, I read your file, and you were part of Project Phoenix. You were an assassin in Vietnam." And yeah. It's like, why would top secret shit be like that be in his LAPD jacket? Yeah. I, right. I just, like. Argh. Yeah. That yeah. seems like that would have been like buried and covered up with the CIA. And... Well, it, it just wouldn't be in his file. It would. Yeah. It would be something like special operations, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Like to give you an idea, Jesse Ventura, the you know the former wrestler <laughs> and actor and governor and now professional mayor kook. And, yeah. Uh, he wasn't a mayor. He was a governor. governor was he the governor? I thought he, I thought he wanted to be a mayor as well. That doesn't no, matter. Sonny Bono was a mayor, but uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, he like even to this day, as kooky as he is, he'll only ever say he was a Navy SEAL in Vietnam. That's yeah. all he will say. Yeah. So, you know, like it just whatever. So yes, we get the idea. He was a super secret psycho killer in Vietnam. You know, like, the war is over. Like yeah, as if we haven't already figured out that yeah. this guy suffers from some pretty serious PTSD, <laughs> and it yeah. probably wasn't the death of his wife that did it to him. No, you know, um, didn't help. The interesting thing is, is that we see at the end of the film, we see her gravestone, and she died in 82, and this movie came out in 87. Mm -hmm. They talk like it just happened. Yeah. So this film was written, and they forgot to update the script. Or they forgot to update the headstone. Probably the headstone was written in the in the script, and mm -hmm. no one thought to say, hang on, this movie's coming out in 87, why don't yeah. we date it 86? Is there any point in time where they give a, a frame of reference for how long ago she died? Because recently, be... recently, the, the, the psychologist at the beginning says recently. Ah, uh, okay. I was under the impression, you know, recently would be within a year. Certainly not three yeah. years. No. It just it's it's one of those things we notice it. No one else did. I'm sure no one else has complained about it. But here, yeah, here we are. Here we are. Let's nitpick, right? Yeah. And it's pretty clear. Murtaugh does not want Riggs as a partner. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says, "Look, either I'm crazy and I'm fucked, or I'm pretending and I'm fucked." And Murtaugh says, well, I don't want you. So we're both fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's pretty clear. What happens next? Oh, right. The, 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 the worst drug deal interview ever. Seriously. Like, a guy who's obviously looking to buy drugs walks into a, a, a club. Hello, I'd like to buy one drug, please. Yeah. Uh, and, and we meet the bad guy who 
we meet first we meet so that's not true. First we meet Gary Busey's character. Yes. You may call me Mr. Joshua. Yeah. Why? Your name's Joshua. That's just weird. But yeah. okay, whatever. There's um, some bad writing. <laughs> well, it just it sounds like you're a psychopath. Like yeah. it announces you're a psycho. Like yeah. it, because he comes across as very creepy. It, yeah, yeah. It, to me, it reads more creepy than psychopathic, Mr. Joshua. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't really... I, that, that's a character I would like to have seen pushed a little further in terms yeah. of his characterization. They pat, they pat the buyer down. They take him into the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we realize is behind the club, for some really weird reason, there's a lot of steam pipes. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, they um, must come in like through the service entrance into the club or something like that. Yeah, but like that's that. a lot of steam pipes for a club, but okay. I don't know. It's, they, it's, there's a bathhouse upstairs. It'll be, sure, let's go with that. It'll be convenient, <laughs> it'll be convenient for later in the plot. Yeah. So they go in, and, they, and, and Gary Busey's character, Mr. Joshua, yeah. in, you know, speaks to his boss, who he calls General, and the first thing the buyer says is, you know, your guys are psychos, oh, they're loyal to me, and they make this whole big thing of him grabbing the buyer, holding his hand out with a lighter in it, and having Mr. Joshua hold his arm over the lighter to burn himself. And the guy's yelling, you're crazy, you're psycho, my God, yeah, yeah, but I'll buy from you. Like, am I the only one who thinks that if you're looking to buy drugs, you want to do it from someone who's stable? Yeah. Like, does that seem to me like a good sale point? Buy from us, we have psychos. <laughs> I mean, I feel like at this point, the, the implication is buy from us, because we'll kill you if we don't, if you don't. But you, you think you'd say that. No, yeah. no, you came to us, now you're buying from us. Yeah. Like, that would have been fine. Yeah. But this is like, okay, I'll buy from you. Because all he had to say was, you know what, I've changed my mind, I don't want to buy from you. You know what, never mind. I don't want, what was it, heroin? Heroin, yeah. Heroin, yes. I would like to try meth. Yeah, Goodbye. but then you kill the guy. Yeah. And then in another scene, you have essentially a second meeting and the guy says, well, what if I say no? And he says, well, the last guy said no, and, no. and that's so-and-so. Isn't he dead? Why, well, yes, he is. Oh, like, yeah. that would have added context. But here, the guy, despite the fact, seeing, despite the fact that these distributors are clearly lunatics, uh-huh. he's, um, you know, he's, he seems okay with them. I and mean, I guess when yeah. you're buying drugs, you can't be picky. I, I mean, I can't speak to that. I've never had to buy, you know, I've never had to buy a large shipment of heroin from, from Laos. I'm weird. No, I, I can't say as I have. Yeah, I get my it's not That's not my Friday. Yeah, that's not your Friday. Saturday. Saturday <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going in on the, the suitcases of cocaine from oh, Bolivia next well, week, of course, aren't you? Of course, awesome. Yeah, um, yeah we're, we're giving up podcasting. We're going into the drug business. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a weird scene that in and of itself is fine, but because they're, you need either him to say no and get shot and then have another guy, or you need, like, there's just... There's bits of that scene that were either cut out or just poorly written. But considering yeah. it's Shane Black who wrote it, I'm going to go with the second one, which poorly is he just written. wrote crap. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Shane, but no, you're not a good writer. Um, of course, he's made a lot more money writing movies than I have, so mm-hmm. clearly someone likes him, but it ain't me. Well, do you know what? I know Shane Black personally, and I know he listens to our podcast. Oh, does he? Yes. So uh, I'm sure that he'll have a lot to say about that. Okay, so this is where I ask. You may not purchase heroin, but do you use it? What's the next scene? What's the next scene? <laughs> The next scene is Murtaugh and the, his army buddy, Huntsanger, whatever, the, the father of the I'm daughter. I'm just going to start calling him Hofstetter. Hofstetter, yeah. sure. The friend, the army buddy. Yeah. If you knew a guy so well he saved your life, I'm guessing that 12 years later, you'd still at least remember his last freaking name. Right. They knew each other in Vietnam. You know, it's worth noting that in actuality, in the States, a lot of the cops were Vietnam vets. Yeah. Just like a lot. Like, I remember after 9-11, it's funny, my mother were just ta- and I were just talking about this last night. After 9-11, they talked a lot about, well, why don't we arm pilots? Most of them mm-hmm. are Vietnam vets. Mm-hmm. And in 2001, yeah, a lot of these older pilots 
were Air Force flyers in Vietnam. That makes sense. And I would imagine that's probably still very true in the States that a lot of airline pilots are ex-Air Force or Marine or, or Navy pilots. Yeah. Because it's funny because they're talking about a lot of these pilots are older. So I guess, you know, in the U.S., I guess pilots can stay in the air longer than it used to be. I don't know, I don't know for sure. I was a Reserve Army medic in Canada. Fair. But, <laughs> you know, but again, you know, like both of these guys are Vietnam vets. You know, Murtaugh and Riggs. I thought, you know, that would have also been interesting if they played off each other a little more on what they did. Look, we never learn what, what Murtaugh did in the Army other than he was there. Yeah. You know, we know what Riggs did. We hear about his thousand-yard shot and high wind and, you know, he killed a lot of people and all that sort of stuff. And okay, fine, but we never learned what Mur- what Murtaugh did, and that would have made for an interesting. Yeah, if you're going to bring it up, do something with it. Elaborate on it. Elaborate yeah. on. It. But here it's just that there. This is all about army buddies, and the father is screaming in public to Murtaugh, "I know you're a cop. Kill them all. Kill them all." It's like, and remember, I said, "Oh, it's an '80s cop movie, so don't yeah. you worry. You know, yeah. they're all going to die." Yeah, don't uh, worry. Yeah. So that happens in, you know, broad daylight. And then they, then Murtaugh and Riggs attend a, uh, a suicide attempt. Yeah. And this is actually probably one of the most famous, I would say this is the most famous scene from the film. I think so, um, yeah. You know, like I said, I read, um, I almost always read Roger Ebert's review before we do these films. Because he's the, you know, he was in, in that, those days the preeminent American movie reviewer. And he loved this film. He adored it. He gave it four stars. And he said this scene is one of the best surprises he'd seen. Because even by 86, he'd said action scenes and chase scenes bore me. And it's for the same reason they bore me. I've seen it so many times. How many more times can I see it? Mm-hmm. So a genuine surprise is fun. And here it's a surprise where he goes up on top of what, seventh story, has a conversation with the guy, handcuffs him to him, and says, you want to jump? Okay. And they jump, and this, they filmed it well. So it's this, you know, you, you see just them right up until they land in the, the air cushion. Yeah, you know. But it's a good scene. But now we're on to what second, third example of why Riggs shouldn't be why Riggs shouldn't be on the force. Yeah, this is again. This is a moment where like, okay, you have now handcuffed yourself to somebody, and we're completely okay with just jumping off of a building. Yeah, despite the fact that you knew you were going to be fine, but sure. Jesus. But yeah, that's that's grounds at least for a mental health review, if yeah. nothing else. And then you know he gets off of the air mattress, and 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 um, Murtaugh drags him into a, a store and yells at him and says, "You want to kill yourself? Okay." Puts the gun under. You know, hands his gun to to Riggs. Riggs pulls the trigger. Yeah. And the only reason he doesn't blow his head off is Murtaugh puts his hand between the hammer and the firing pin. And yeah. he yells, ow, because, yeah. by the way, it does hurt. Yeah. And so, like, this was, an, this was a failed attempt, actual attempt at suicide. Yeah. So that's four times in 32 minutes we have witnessed, three of them witnessed by other people, where <laughs> this guy should be immediately brought into the station, asked for his badge and gun, and said... We're going to have a conversation yeah, later. We're on mental health. You know, what I found interesting is in, even in the Roger Ebert review, that he seemed to blow past that. Oh, he's a little kooky. I, I mean, I suppose the Roger Ebert review is written at a different time when discussions of mental health and PTSD and uh, the, yeah. the stresses of a frontline position like a police officer were just not discussed. It wasn't Yeah, up. Yeah, it is a different era. I mean, I noticed that. I mean, first thing I, I noticed when we were, one thing I noticed when we were, it'll come up later in the, in the firing 
firing range scene mm-hmm. that didn't catch before is that when once they realized that the, the woman who committed suicide wasn't alone, that there was someone with her, we always assumed it was a guy. It turns out it was Dixie, and he says, disgusting, but okay. Yeah. In this day and age, we'd want that scene. We'd want that sex scene, of course. Of course. And naturally, that would be in the film just because. But just the idea, ooh, lesbians, gross. Like, <laughs> uh, but again, that's the '80s. I mean, how many? T- I mean, it's funny. I was watching a clip from Star Trek IV recently, Voyage Home. Uh-huh. And there's that one. There's the one scene where Chekhov gets arrested, and he's being interrogated yeah. by the CIA agent in uh, on the carrier, mm-hmm. and and he leans over to his friend and he says, "So what do you think? Well, he's a Rusky." Yeah, but he's a retard or something. Yeah, it's like oh, that's 1986 for yeah. you. Like it's 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 a funny scene, but it's just at the same time, oh, ee, yeah. ah, you know, it's like we encounter this every so often, but it doesn't make you feel good. But no, you, it you recognize yeah. the time and place yeah, in which it was written and filmed. Exactly, exactly. So again, four examples of Riggs is crazy, and let's uh, let's figure this out. So we get another conversation on an overpass with Murtaugh standing off to the side and having a conversation on his cell phone. I can't help but wonder whether they just, the reason they're both on this overpass is they filmed both scenes the same day. Probably. It just occurs to me. They had, they were able to block off that overpass for exactly one day yeah, or probably half a day and decided, screw it. Let's film them both. Yeah. We'll just get it done here now. And the second conversation is with the, the psychologist who tells him, yeah, no, he's going to pop. Again, so now we have five examples in thirty-six minutes of why Rig, you know, why Martin Riggs does does not belong in public, let yeah. alone on the police force. So they're driving along, and 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 they sort of start laughing at each other. Ha ha! Isn't it funny? All the crazy stuff we've gotten into in two days. And they wind up in Beverly Hills because they found out who it was who was the dead girl's sugar daddy. Yep. They go into his house. They find two people pouring cocaine and a psycho with a shotgun. There's some standard 80s shootout bullshit, and he dies. Yep. In a pool tarp. Which... In, a, in a pool tarp, yeah. Well, yeah, it's not the two bullets that were put into him with the 9mm hand cannon yeah. that Riggs is carrying. By the way, it's a Beretta 9mm, not yeah. a hand cannon. But yeah, no, but again, you know. from from the sound and the results, you would assume it was a forty five. Yeah, well, it's just it's the sound effect. But it, we make the same joke in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Like, that's a really loud gun. Like, yeah. it's, you know. Stock sound effect for gun. And pretty much, yeah. there was a there was a funny bit at the end where I, I'm not sure if you noticed where they had the shootout between uh, Riggs with his MP5 and Mr. Joshua mm-hmm. with his uh, his M4, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nine millimeter versus five point five six millimeter, and they used the identical sound effect. They couldn't even bother to find a second yeah. like. Hey, sound effect guy, yeah. are you very lazy or just mostly lazy? It's just written in as machine gun. <laughs> pretty much, it's like <laughs> come on. I mean, whatever. Anyway. Murtaugh takes Riggs home. They feed them dinner. We learn that Murtaugh's teenage daughter is sort of, you know, got a crush on on Riggs. But yeah. okay. And it, as I recall, nothing ever, ever comes of it, even though they play it throughout the series. Yeah. But I don't quite remember the second. I watched the second movie today and quit halfway through. So, yeah. But I don't recall that it, it becomes anything more than a joke that she's sweet on him. Yeah. I know at the end of the movie says, yeah, I think your daughter likes me. Yeah, if you touch her, I'll kill you. Yeah. Um, Actually, that's one thing we missed because we talked about it when it came. Hmm. The very beginning, before Murtaugh leaves for work, uh-huh. the, the teenager shows off her dress for the prom. Oh, yeah, and that's right. And it's a slinky number. And we noticed, well, it's kind of a progressive dad. Yeah. Because he doesn't say, "Yeah, oh, you're not leaving the house with that. You're going to wear something that covers you. He just, he just says, wow, she's a heartbreaker. Like, 
he recognizes his daughter as not a little girl. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciated that. And the yeah. fact that, you know, she's dating a lot of guys, a lot of different guys he can't keep track. Mm-hmm. You know, good on you, Dad. Yeah. Like, you know. Well, we get a second progressive dad moment just coming up here after dinner. After dinner, yeah. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Where they're, they're sitting out in the boats and they're just kind of shooting the breeze about, what do you know about boats? Oh, not much. I know that that's the front and that's the back and there's water all around Eventually, the daughter comes out and uh, she's saying, oh, I uh, got invited to go out to the club tonight with my the, the boyfriend. Yeah. And, and they make uh, a point of noting he's blonde-haired with big dimples. Yeah, yeah, yeah specifically, because that won't come up again, ever. Uh, and he goes, no, you're grounded. Well, I, I smoked a joint in the house. Like, why is, it, why is it fine that I can drink a beer, but I can't smoke a joint? Dad goes, sneak well, a beer. <laughs> yeah. Dad goes, well, because one's illegal and one's not. And it's as simple as that. And you know what? Fair enough. Like, he recognizes the fact that, you know, she's she's doing something that's illegal, and that's why it's not okay. Yeah. Other than that, she is more or less an adult and can make her own decisions. Like, I don't know if she's 18 or not. I, I, well, it, she says it's okay to drink a beer. Well, that's 21. Drinking that's age true. Is that's true. She's are. not 21. Yeah, no, she's definitely um, not 21. But yeah, he doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to be a problem if she sneaks a beer. Yeah. I think his issue is that she smoked weed in the house. Yeah. A police officer's house. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of a problem. Yeah. But... Yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, Martin Riggs, even he recognizes that it's stupid that uh, weed is illegal. Yeah. Again, you know, hooray for progressive parenting. Like, yeah. he's he's actually a pretty cool dad. Like, there's yeah. a joke in the second one where she stars in a commercial, and the whole family gets together, and it turns out it's a condom commercial nice. for when the time is ready. He's just filmed <laughs> on a beach. Sure. And he looks really angry, and, you know, her, her new boyfriend is there, and he says, can I stay? And he looks at her, leave. But I want to stay. I have a gun. <laughs> and, he, and you know, boyfriend goes away, but in the end, he sort of like he gets used to it. Okay, whatever. It's just a commercial. Move on. Like yeah. that's the closest he gets to the Cro-Magnon man dad trope of mm-hmm. the eighties and nineties. Because that's a bullshit stereotype. Like, give your yeah. kids, especially your daughters, a little more agency than that. Like, right? <laughs> you know. But yeah, it's a, you know, it's a neat, it's a neat scene, and I appreciate the fact that dad is actually pretty chill. Yeah. And Danny Clever plays a chill dad here. Yeah, and then he asks his, uh, you know, he asks Riggs, do you really like my wife's cooking? He goes, no. no. But, you know, but that becomes also a running joke is that she's got a, that his, his wife's a terrible cook, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is its own trope. Yeah. Oh, my silly wife who stays at home and doesn't know how to cook. What right. are you going to do? Yeah. But, you know, he comes back into the house and he notices there's some stuff waiting. There's a gift and there's a uh, a videotape and, uh, what do you call it? A High yearbook. school yearbook. High school yearbook. Yeah. And it's of the girls. And it's a porno. And again, he passes out with that VHS in the machine. Gee, I hope he forgot to, or he remembers to take it out in the right? morning yeah. before his, you know, his, his kids come home and turn on the TV and go, Return that to the what's evidence that? Backup. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't think it's from the evidence. It says evidence. On oh, it. is that what it was? It was it sent says, to him? Yeah. It says evidence on the, uh, on the envelope. Which leads me to the next question then. If it was from the evidence, why didn't they just leave it on his desk at work so he could watch it the next day? Uh-huh. Like, isn't that what you do with, you know, evidence? But what do I know? Because um, that wouldn't make for a good scene. Yeah. Next morning, this scene again, it's not ha-ha, laugh out loud, but it is funny that Riggs wakes him up in bed with a cup of coffee. Morning, Roger. Here, have some coffee. Hey, Roger, I've been doing a little thinking. I've been doing a lot of thinking, actually, about the night a man, a Hunsecker, died. How'd you get here? Uh, Trish let me in. What time is it? Uh, It's daytime. Okay, how about... Listen, about the night a man, a Hunsecker, died, she... What was the name of that hooker who witnessed the jump? Come on, you let me go to sleep. No, come on, we gotta get up and catch bad guys today. Okay, okay, okay. I'll be real policeman. I get a shower. Yeah. What was the name of that hooker? You know, the one that witnessed the jump? Wilshire Vice says Century City is not a usual turf. Dixie, her name is Dixie. Give me that cup. And get out of here. 
It, it's pretty funny. It's just a good quirky character scene. Yeah. It shows that these characters are getting used to each other. The the hatred they clearly had for each other in the first two days has gone away. Yeah. They're now, you know, partners. Well, they're buddy cops now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're 54 minutes into the movie. And that's about as long as you want to drag the I hate you, I don't trust you thing. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I just can't help but wonder, did they think this was going to be a franchise? I bet you that they probably went into it with the opportunity that this could be a franchise. I, yeah. I think that there's too many things that are set up here um, for them to not have gone, we want a sequel out of this. Let's hope that it makes enough money for us to make a sequel. Yeah, because sequels, I mean, the 80s, the joke was sequelitis. Everybody's yeah. got a goddamn sequel right. or five. And we went over the, the numbers. Up until the fourth one, they were... Highly successful. Highly successful. Yeah, the fourth one was highly successful, too. The problem was... Gibson became a superstar, $30 million. Yeah. You know, this is what ha- this is always your first hint. When the actor asks too much, get a new actor. Yeah. But, well, you've seen uh, Hunt for Red October. Yes. Wonderful film. I can't Absolutely. believe we haven't done it. Uh, so Alec Baldwin, to star in the second Tom Clancy movie, Patriot Games, mm-hmm. asked for $20 million. And Paramount said he was telling him to go fuck himself. Yeah. They hi- and, and Harrison Ford, who was already a much bigger actor, says, I'll do it for a few million. Yeah. But then what did he ask for for Clear and Present Danger? $20 million. Uh, but by that point, the Tom Clancy movies, because of course the, the the books were insanely popular. Right. Both movies did super well and they're excellent films. Yeah. So he got the $20 million for Clear and Present Danger, but then they didn't make another one. They waited 20 years, 15 years, sorry, 50, yeah, 15 years to do Some of All Fears and they got Ben Affleck. I'm not sure if he got $20 million, but I doubt it. Probably not, but I mean, no. Yeah. Hard to tell, yeah. But thirty million bucks, any actor asking for that in nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety one would have been <laughs> Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. That was the budget of our second film. How, yeah. You know, it drives me nuts these actors who demand these huge sums of money. Like, does there not come a point where you have enough money? What are you gonna do? Like you know, there's guys like George Clooney who who left ER, of which he was ridiculously successful, ridiculously successful, and and all these actors were making a ton of money. I mean, ER was expensive to make because, like, was it the four main actors were making a million dollars per episode? Jeez. But but it was it was it was a, a juggernaut. Like it, it ruled its time slot. No one put good shows up against ER. Yeah. When Clooney left, people were shocked. He said, "Well, I want to do something else." And he went and made Peacemaker, which Peacemaker, which was eh, it was it was um. DreamWorks first movie. It's a oh, okay. decent action film uh, with uh, Mar- uh, not Margot Kidder, uh, t- uh, uh, Cruz's ex-wife. Oh, uh, I can't She's remember. Such a good, anyway, you know what we're talking about here. Yeah. And then he did, uh, you know, the what was it? Oh, brother, where art thou? And he's yeah. and and okay. you know, Good Night and Good Luck, which is an excellent film about McCarthyism. And like he's gone on to make important movies, like the the, the remake of Solaris that he did was fabulous. Not as good as the original Tarkovsky film, but that takes some. Sure. That takes, that takes but, some doing. You know, like, he could have made uh, twice as much money just by sticking with ER and then moving into movies that way, but he just wanted to do, like, he says he wants to do meaningful stuff. But, like, some of these actors, you wonder, like, why do you care whether you're making $20 million or $30 million? Are you going to spend that? Yeah. Like, what is Keanu Reeves worth? Oh, God. You know, is it half a billion? Some of these actors are worth insane amounts yeah. of money. Keanu's, you know, as an example, he did some, he did, he did a really funny rom-com for netflix where he played the boyfriend mm-hmm. and he's only in two or three scenes and he plays a parody of himself yeah he could not have made a lot of money for that no 
Why did he do it? Because he wanted to make a good movie. He wanted to make something that was good and fun to watch. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone did um, Copland. Excellent film, by the yeah. way, about a sheriff in a suburb outside of New York City where a lot of cops live. And him, he plays an honest sheriff surrounded by corrupt cops. Right. He had to work for scale to get that movie made. Oh, really? You know, you know what scale is, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. But for, for those in our audience who don't, scale is, it's literally like a chart. If you are the the star, you get this. If, and, and then everyone makes below or above that, and the director makes this much. It, it is essentially minimum wage. It's, actually, it is minimum wage for an actor. Yeah. And he... Sylvester Stallone was still a pretty well thought of actor at that point. He worked for scale to get that movie out. And you got to respect that. Absolutely. Um, and, and Mel Gibson at this point, I mean, I'm trying to think what else he had done. He'd done Mad Max and Mad Max, uh, which Mad Max and then the road warrior and then right. Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. Um, those made him pretty big, but those were Australian films. Had he done Braveheart at this point? No, no. that was, a, that was the early nineties. Was it? Okay. I mean, that's what made him because yeah. that was, I'm not sure if it was his directorial debut, but oh, okay. And remember, he won Academy Awards. That was an excellent film. Yeah. No connection whatsoever to the actual guy or anything that happened. <laughs> no. Well, supposedly the, the writer wrote the movie and then researched William Wallace and adapted it. And that did it badly, but it's a good movie. Yeah. And he's a great director and he's a great performer. But 30 million bucks, dude. You know? Yeah. But anyway, back to the movie where he actually did a good performance <laughs> before he got his head got bigger than, you know. So, yeah, they go to the, they go to the firing range and they're talking about, they're working things out as they're firing. And they realized that the girl who committed suicide wasn't alone. It occurs to them that it was that she was with a woman. But of course, what we learn is that she was paid to poison her. Yeah. So, but there, but you know, Riggs is hung up on the fact that it's a lesbian thing, whatever. And while they're figuring this out, and they said, "Yeah, that's a pretty thin theory. We should go find Dixie." The running joke is that as good as um, as Murtaugh thinks he is of a shot. Riggs is much better. I mean, infinitely better, infinitely better. And you know, there's one, there's one, one shot, which absolutely will not be recalled later when, you know, Murtaugh cracks his neck and fires one shot. It gets a dead center in the middle of the head. Yeah. And then Riggs moves the target all the way to the back and fires a smiley face into it. Yeah. But I like the timing of the scene. It's a great scene. It's a really, really well-played, yeah. paced scene. And it's because they let it play. They didn't cut it. Because the way it works is they're on a firing range, and the, the, the paper targets move on a track. Mm -hmm. and you hold, a, you know, you hold the, the switch, and it moves towards you, and it moves back. And Murtaugh fired from the closest position. And Riggs goes right to the back of the, which is probably like 50 meters or so, right to the back of the range. And the camera holds on him. Do, do, do. And he actually goes, do, 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 while it goes yeah. to the back. He fires his shots. And then we wait. Well, the target comes all. <laughs> and it's hilarious. They don't. Today, it would be cut. He would fire. He'd look back at Murtaugh. And then immediately it would cut to them slamming the target up against the wall so you could see the shots. Yeah. But no, here, Donner lets it play out. Let's the thing. It, it's great. Yeah. It adds an extra 20, 30 seconds to the scene. But you know, I, it, I miss that in 80, yeah. I miss that films that let you take the time. Yeah, it, it lets you breathe in the moment for a second and really, it, it gives you the feeling of awkwardness that Murtaugh has where he's sitting there and he's about to see somebody who just obliterated his shot. And, and he's got to know, even before he sees yeah. the smiley face that was put around the nose that he shot into the guy's target, mm -hmm. He's he's got to know, oh my God, what is he about to show me? Yeah. I like the fact that they take the time. So then, then they go to see 
uh, Dixie, and there's four kids, and like, you're going to bust Dixie. You're gonna... <laughs> Turns out they don't get a chance to because the house blows up. And they actually did blow up a house. Yeah. You know, on a, they probably found some shitty block with a bunch of abandoned houses, and they blew one up. I'm not that surprised. No. And, you know, what they discover is that, yeah, there was a body inside, and they find the explosives, and, you know, Riggs is pretty impressed with it. He thinks it's a work of art because he recognizes, like, it's, it's this, is, this is stuff he saw in the war. And, they you know, they question one of the kids, and we learn that it was... Someone with yeah. the same tattoo that Riggs has, which yeah. is a special forces tattoo. And, of course, he's white with blonde hair, so we know immediately that it's... Mr. Joshua. Yeah. And now we know Mr. Joshua is ex-Special Forces. Mm-hmm. See, it would have been more interesting, I think, and maybe maybe it's there and we didn't see it, that when he holds his arm out to get uh, burned. No, well, maybe. If, if we'd see... Oh, I want to find out. I don't know. Is there anything there? I'm, I'm, now I'm curious. I yeah. want to see... Let's, let's go do some investigation. Yeah. I'll sit here and vamp for a minute. I mean, it's, you know, up until this point, it's a really solid movie. There's nothing that goes, like, over-the-top goofy with anything. Yeah. All right, here okay. we go. Here's here's the scene. No. But there's a second scene. We got a closer look. No, you don't yeah. see it at all. Okay. And okay. Th- that would have been a really nice touch if they'd added that in there. Yeah, if we'd actually seen it and 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 if it burned off... Actually, it would have been interesting if he burned off the tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't see it. But the kid recognizes the tattoo on Riggs' arm, mm-hmm. which is a shitty 1960s or 70s done in you know done in some shitty tattoo parlor in Saigon yeah, sort of thing faded it's, janky looking like, yeah, it's, yeah when i got my tattoo she literally took the image off the internet of the starfleet delta printed it out yeah. in like temporary ink laid it down and tattooed right over top of it it was yeah. all very digital yeah but this was you know back in the day it's some dame in saigon who you know <laughs> um you know when you're mm. on you know when you're on you got a you know, a bottle of some shitty liquor in one hand and, you know, your leaf pass in the other and hit me, baby. But, you know, back before tattoos were art, they were more of a, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting that they figure out that, you know, that now they know it, that who Mr. Joshua is. Now they know they're dealing with special forces guys. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they already, it occurs to me, they already knew that. They didn't no, really. Actually, no, they didn't. It's the next scene, right? Because yeah. he goes to speak to his buddy, whose name we still haven't remembered, yeah. the, the, the father of the dead chick. And he explains that this is about the CIA and Air America, which, by the way, was real. Mm-hmm. They were a smuggling operation. Yeah. It was a front company for CIA uh, operation. Again, Mel Gibson did a movie called Air America. It was a comedy with Robert Downey Jr. when he was still a kid. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was before his first drug bought him out. But anyway. <laughs> first of several. Yeah, so they're talking, and it's like, you know, the father says, I'm in too deep, I ran, I managed the banking stuff, you know, we left the war, we, we, we're now bringing in the heroin ourselves, all this sort of stuff, and they call themselves Shadow Company. No. I have no idea if they were real or not, who knows. It's such a, it's such a, the name is such bullshit, it's hard it to tell really whether it's real is, or not. Yeah. You know? In the meantime, what will become a joke in at least the first two Lethal Weapon films is that this guy lives on a sea cliff, you know, in a nice house, and... A Bell Jet helicopter, your standard 80s helicopter, <laughs> comes up from below the cliffs. And we don't hear the very loud helicopter right until it appears. And Mr. Joshua is in there, shoots and kills the, the grieving father. He's dead. And now we realize, okay, now we got a problem. Yeah. But now, of course, Mr. Joshua, I can't believe I keep saying that, but it makes him sound creepier, creepier than Joshua. Yeah. Mr. Joshua points out to the general that now we have another problem, which is that the police... They're aware. You know, the yeah. interesting thing is the conversation, which I'll clip in. This is Delta One. We're coming in. Over. So you've accomplished your mission. 
Yes, sir. Mr. Hunsaker is dead, sir. I'm afraid, however, that another problem exists. What is it? Explain. Hunsaker spoke to the police, sir. Are they dead? No, sir. I missed the opportunity. Very disappointing. So the police may know everything, the whole operation, then? That is correct, sir. Joshua, I think it's time we turned up the heat. Come on home. Where he says, you know, I'm very disappointed you didn't kill the police. Yes, sir. It sounded very... I think they, when they wrote it, imagined superior officer underling. Yeah. But it sounds almost, I'm sorry, Daddy. Like, it sounds almost infantile. I'm very yeah. disappointed in you. Yes, sir. Like, he's like a robot who doesn't think, and he has mm -hmm. to be treated. Like, here's the one thing about Special Forces, guys. They're super smart. Dumb people don't get to be in Special no, Forces. No. I mean, you can say what you want about Jesse Ventura and, <laughs> and the rabbit hole he went down, but dumb people don't get to be Navy SEALs. Dumb people don't get to be SAS or whatever. Because the quickest way to, to weed out those guys before they ever even get a chance to, to try out is they check your educational background. I know this because a guy in my unit wanted to try out for Joint Task Force 2, Canada oh, yeah. Special Forces. And I said, well, how, what's involved in that? He says, well, the first thing they ask for are your, like, your high school and university transcripts. And that's, that kind of surprised me, and I realized, you know, you have to be able to know a lot and do a lot and remember a lot and figure out a lot yeah. when people are shooting at you and when, yeah. when help is not coming. Yeah. And dumb people don't get to do this. So he is portrayed as this robotic figure, and, and I, it does a disservice to a creepy character who was meant to be creepy, but I, I, don't know, I, would, I think I would have liked to have learned a little more about Mr. Joshua. It almost, you know, in, in retrospect, I'm not sure if they meant him to be creepy i think that they just tried to lean into cold and calculating too hard. and loyal and loyal and loyal that's yeah. what that's what the flame thing is right well yeah he'll stand there because he was told to yeah but cold and calculating and, and loyal too hard and it just comes off as and plays as creepy instead yeah like you gotta wonder is there a scene between the general and mr joshua that we're not seeing that would mm -hmm. deepen their relationship but again this is shane black in a 1980s action film so i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna go with probably, probably not, not. So the next scene, and this is one where, again, we, we're almost certainly missing a scene where Riggs and Murtaugh are out there talking to uh, prostitutes to see if anyone recognizes. Now, were they showing Dixie or the dead girl? Dixie, I believe. Dixie, because yeah. Dixie was the prostitute. The dead girl was just doing porn. Was she not a prostitute? I don't think so. I think they just said that she was doing porn. Yeah, and a lot of drugs, apparently. Oh, but yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and out of the blue, Mr. Joshua comes and does a drive-by on on Riggs, who survives it because he's wearing a, a, a bulletproof, a bulletproof vest. vest. And we never figure out how is it that they figured out how to locate these guys. Were they following him? And yeah. if so, why did they wait so long? Why didn't they wait for the two to be standing together? Yeah. Or was it that he got a tip off from a crooked cop? We, we just never know. Yeah. But again, 80s film, we're just meant to go, oh, okay. Yeah. There's, there's scene whiplash here for sure, but... That shit always drives me nuts. It's like in Rogue One where she goes from being I hate the rebellion to let me leave the rebellion. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Where's the scene I'm missing there? Well, that's what happens when you redo the entire third act of a movie because it didn't work the first time, but whatever. So yeah, so they decide to use to their advantage that Mr. Joshua thinks he's killed Riggs. And in fact, at one point a little later on, when Josh when Mr. Joshua calls the cops pretending to be a reporter, they say, Yeah, a sergeant, Detective Sergeant Riggs was killed tonight. Yeah. In the meantime, at the same time, is this? Yeah. This is, yeah. That's right. They race home as they realize 
there's been a murder near Murtaugh's house. And the guy says, let me guess, blonde hair and dimples? Like, how'd you know that? Yeah. So now we know why it was they made a point of emphasizing who his daughter's latest boyfriend was and what he looked like. Clearly, boyfriend's been shot, which means we know they have the girl. He, he rides home, you know, he races home. The wife is there. The kids are there. They race them off. There's the call and, you know, you'll meet us here. It's all very standard stuff. Um, and the next scene, I think, is probably the best film scene in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think so. It's got the most cinematography to yeah, it. Yeah, where, where, where Murtaugh is driving through the desert. He stops, lets Riggs out with a sniper rifle. It's very, very well written. Like, even things like the way Riggs, like, they put thought into it, the way Riggs runs. He doesn't mm-hmm. go through bushes. He always goes over clear ground. Yeah. Why? Because he's used to operating in Vietnam where you don't go off the trail. Yeah. There's one weird scene where the bad guys approach them in sort of this convoy of in front of the limo, behind an SUV, or such as they were. I guess it would have been Lake Tahoe. Not a Lake Tahoe. Tahoe well, yeah, something like a Tahoe. Yeah. yeah. And behind them, the copter. In a row. Like, why would you have a copter hovering what is essentially a car and a half's height from the ground? Yeah. Is it kind of the point it's... of the helicopter to get aerial overview? I'm not know. really doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> it, it looked okay. But the shot that we both really liked was the scene essentially through the sniper scope that they don't show it to you. They don't mm-hmm. waste your time by putting the little crosshairs on. Yeah. Which is the view of Murtaugh in the foreground and the vehicles in the background approaching him. And it's far enough away that the heat is warping the image. Yeah. It's a really good shot. It is. It's a very well done shot. You know, Richard Donner is not known for his great cinematography. He's just a good director. Mm -hmm. But every so often he clearly pulls off a good set piece. And here he really did. And so there's a trade-off and, you know, you you give me the girl, you know, and we'll know you give me the gun. No, I'll give you the whip. You give me the idol. Wait, sorry, different movie. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's like that sort of bullshit back and forth. Murtaugh pulls out a grenade. It's like, you're not going to kill us all. Well, no, it's a shitty little Vietnam-era grenade. It's not going to kill anyone, except maybe the guy who drops it at his feet. Yeah. Which is kind of funny, because remember, even when I watched it yesterday, and I said it today, like, what, does he have a thermonuclear grenade? What the fuck does he... What what do these people think he's carrying? (laughs) You know? Like, come on! I mean, again, grenades are designed to clear a room, or a trench, or an enclosed space. They don't really work at open ground, other than they throw a little bit of... uh, Shrapnel. Shrapnel around. Like, I've thrown... Exactly three grenades in my life. I still have the pin from one of them. I was allowed yeah. to keep it. And, like, yes, it's a modern grenade. Well, modern grenade. It was probably the ones from the 80s and 90s because I threw it in 94. Yeah. You pull it, you throw it, they put you down behind this super thick thing of concrete with a little window, and it's like six inches of glass. Yeah. And you feel the shockwave, and there's a fair bit of it, and there's a little bit of shrapnel. And a little bit of it actually got wedged in the, uh, oh, the window. Yeah. And, oh, that was a little freaky. Um, but these things do not, they don't blow up buildings. They don't no. blow cars 20 feet in the air. No. They're not going to kill you in an open desert. Yeah. Like it was just seemed a little silly, especially for everyone to be freaking out because literally everyone in this scene is ex-military. Literally everyone in this scene, except the daughter. And everybody is 20 feet away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, maybe the guy who was negotiating with Murtaugh would think it was a problem. But yeah. Like, it just, it seemed really silly. Like, yes, if he throws the grenade, people are going to have to scatter, but it's yeah. not going to nuke everyone. Right. So, even Gary Busey says, yeah, I don't think you're going to throw that. And he shoots him. Yeah. Who then lobs the grenade. It's a smoker, whatever. Rig starts sniping people. 
The girl gets in the limo, drives off, just as, you know, and, and the helo goes after him. And just as Riggs is about to kill Mr. Joshua, the general puts a gun in his face. Yeah. And they run the girl off the road. She trips. Why? Because, because girls always, girl in an 80s she's baby. an 80s girl. They yeah, always trip. Exactly. They're incapable of, you know, running, running. and keeping their shirts on, apparently. Well, that know. too. So CJ would have seen this and started yelling. I think, oh, come on. Yeah. But uh, then we go back to the the steam and factory works behind the the club. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. And they're torturing rigs with electricity. It's the guy from... Uh, from, from uh, Die, Hard, Die Hard, the one who goes for the Butterfinger. Yeah. This guy is the same in, like, all his movies. He's he's, he's Asian of some manner. Yeah. He's, he's bald up top. He's got the crown. But he's grown his hair, like, shoulder length, and he's got this super overly long Fu Manchu mustache. And it's like, this guy is hired for that look. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is typecasting and pigeonholing and yeah, call it what you will. I but. mean, it's, it's entirely possible he's a great actor. Oh, sure. Watch, we're going to find out he's some super respected stage actor yeah, right. and does these bullshit roles. Yeah. Um, well, I forget, was it something Corey is his name, is an, is an actor's name. And he's this super well-regarded acting teacher for 40, 50 years in Hollywood. Taught, uh, he taught the method. Mm. Taught it alongside Leonard Nimoy. Like these, this mm-hmm. is a sort of serious guy, but he's only ever done shit bit roles in really? like Star Trek and other stuff. Yeah. He's so, but yet he's so highly regarded. Well, yeah, because he spends all his time teaching and acting and directing on the stage. TV's beneath him. So he was in a he was in a few episodes. He was in an episode of the original series called The Cloudminders, about the city in the clouds. He's the, oh, yeah, the yeah. bushy guy with the eyebrows. Okay. He well, you'll episode. have to be more specific. Um, he, I'll show you. Well, I just mean that oh, there's, okay, a, there's a lot of people here. in yeah. uh, a lot of people in Star Trek that have bushy eyebrows. Yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll show you <laughs> later. But we're, we're getting off topic here. But the yeah. point is, a lot of these, a lot of the bit players you see in Hollywood, they turn out to be like these big deals in theater, yeah. which is kind of funny. You kind of feel bad for them because they're the ones who probably deserve to be on screen, but oh, they're not sure. pretty enough. So whatever. Yeah. Anyway, there's a great electricity torture scene, and there's a great Murtaugh torture scene where he swears like a sailor, go spit. Yeah. I don't know. That just cuts me to the quick. I know. Um, they drag really? his daughter out. She's been stripped down to her underwear. I'm not sure why. Yeah. Maybe it's to set him off balance. Oh, my God. What did you do to my daughter? Maybe. Or, or I'm going to rape your daughter. But but again, they never actually say anything. So this is. Or maybe just because it's an 80s movie and they felt like they and needed she's cute to. And, yeah. I don't think they're portraying her as a, like a 16 year old. Because no. that would be like, whoa, hang no. on there. I think she's at least 18. Yeah, but they've got her in her slip. So, shock of shocks, Riggs kills his interrogator. There's a shootout. The general and Mr. Joshua manage to escape. There's a shootout in the club, which we noticed, despite the fact that it's a pretty empty club, no one seems to hear that goddamn hand cannon of his. (laughs) You could practically hear it across the desert, but no one in the club hears it. Yeah. Uh, There's a shootout in the club, sadly not nearly as good as the one from... uh, uh, John Wick. Uh, oh, yeah. That's an amazing scene. That's a great scene. By the way, that's the reason that the fight at the end of John Wick is so uh, is so low budget. Yeah. They blew their budget on the uh, on that club uh, scene. On the club scene. Yeah. yeah. The shootout winds up into the street with Joshua uh, stealing a car and um, Riggs chasing him on foot, which again becomes a running joke in the series. Mm-hmm. The shootout goes all over downtown. It gets to nothing other than we learn that. Neither of these people is a particularly good shot, yeah. and they've all clearly forgotten their special forces training yeah. or basic army training, like aim down the sights, yeah, whatever. They wind up back at how did they wind up? Oh yeah, the 
Riggs goes after, well, Riggs is chasing Mr. Joshua. Murtaugh chases after the general, does his, cracks his neck, fires one shot, kills the the driver who's who's trying to flee with the general. Mm -hmm. The general's car flips. He's lying there pinned in the car with piles of cocaine and hand grenades around, and it blows up. Yeah. And I was telling you, we were joking that everyone gets high. In Calgary in the late 80s, there was a huge cocaine bust in the city. It was a big deal. It was like, mm-hmm. it was like all over the news because it was so oh, big, okay. like suitcases of cocaine. Sort of yeah, thing. yeah. And they went to burn it in the incinerator. And the incinerator was never intended to burn that much cocaine that <laughs> And the filters couldn't, it overloaded the filters and it wafted across the street yeah. to the police station and got the whole station high. That's a great way to spend your shift. As I recall, the in, they had to call in all sorts of people off duty <laughs> because the entire station was high. Yeah. Everyone in the station got blitzed on cocaine. And it was, I mean, everyone laughed about it. And, and sure. you know, it was just that they burned too much too fast. And I'm sure you could find it somewhere on, on CTV's website or oh, something. Oh, for like that. sure. I'm for sure it's sure. out there somewhere. But it was just really funny. And this yeah. reminded me of it. In the meantime, yeah, we, we did notice a couple of things during that car chase. Like, first off, how fast is that car going that when oh, it drives yeah. up against the wall, it's like molten metal on the side of the car? Yeah, that was just weird. Followed by T-boning a, or getting T-boned by a bus that flips the car up and over. Like you said, yeah. how fast was that bus going? Yeah, it does, it does like a clockwork flip and then it rolls three times. And starts to burn. And starts Again, to burn. Again, how yeah. fast was that bus driving? Seriously. You know, like, but meanwhile, all the bus has got is it's just got the front uh, front window broken. Pretty sure if you're going to flip a car, you're going to do more than just break the window. That's what I'm saying. You can see yeah. the front of the bus and, there. And he, and he backs, he's able, to, he's able to back the bus up. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. So the engine and transmission are just fine. Yeah. So there's this, all these bullshit shootouts... And we realize that Mr. Joshua is headed back to Murtaugh's place. Yeah. Somehow, despite having several minutes head start, Murtaugh and Riggs get to his home ahead of Gary Busey, who kills two cops, Mr. Joshua. And this is the stupidest trap I've ever seen. Mr. Joshua is going through Murtaugh's house, shooting it up, comes across a note that they've had time to write and hang on the Christmas tree. Yeah. Only us good, only, you know, was it Dear Bad Guys? Only us good guys are here, signed the cops. Yeah, something like that. And then they drive a, the police, drive a police car through the front door. And Gary Busey, seeing that it's empty, instead of, you know, looking for the guy who sent the car at him, mm-hmm. takes the time to take the nightstick out of, off the, uh, the gas. Yeah. Of course, he has Riggs' gun in his face. Mm-hmm. Riggs drops the gun and says, let's fight. Yeah. What we forgot to mention is that when he killed the two cops who were parked outside Murtaugh's house, they died. One of them apparently hit the gas when he died, because that's what happens when you die. Yeah. And drove into a fire hydrant, because that's how Oh, yes, that's right. right. That's right. So this is our second well-filmed scene, which is, yeah. which is like the, the fire hydrant creating the rainstorm. And mm-hmm. it's, it, admittedly, it's, it's well-filmed. The first, like, ten seconds of this fight is very, like, half-second cuts. It, yeah. It's a bit tough to watch right off first, but yeah. as soon as it kind of works its way into the setting, the rest of the cops are there. They've established, yeah. okay. And the cuts become a little longer. Two, yeah. three seconds at a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Then I, it becomes a lot easier to watch, and actually in a, a really, really good scene. Yeah, I, I, despite the fact that, like, he has to say three times, I take, you know, like Murtaugh yeah. says, I, I, I take responsibility, <laughs> let him beat him up, and it's bullshit, he just shot two of our guys. Like, no, nah, this is bullshit. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, they couldn't find a better reason to have these two have to these two special forces guy, mm-hmm. good guy and bad guy, square off. Like, right. you, that could that wasn't in there somewhere. They couldn't yeah. think. Of, but of course, it's Shane Black, so I guess not. 
Um, <laughs> but he's gonna be real mad when he listens to yeah, this episode. One of these days, Shane Black's showing up at my house. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a good scene. One, like you say, once they once Donner lets the clips get longer, and you know what it is, they the camera backs off, so you can tell you can't tell quite as easily that it's stunt doubles, yeah. which just occurs to me. It's convenient that constantly flowing water mm-hmm. it obscures the camera because yeah. the one thing we noticed when he he takes the jumper off the roof, it was very obviously not Mel Gibson. Oh yeah, no, that was a hundred percent not him. Yeah, so there's a big fight, and guess what? He beats Joshua, and just as he's about to be arrested, he grabs a gun, and the two of them together both turn and blow away Mr. Joshua. Because the one thing we actually have missed this entire film is the running joke that Murtaugh keeps complaining, you keep killing people. Could you please stop that? Yeah. As I mentioned before, it's amazing how in, in police, American police shows, people die by the dozen, and it never seems to matter. Like... Here in Calgary, admittedly, it's Canada. When the police shoot someone, it makes the news. Yeah, it, it makes the news and goes on to severe review. Yeah, well, we have in Alberta, we have ACERT, the Alberta yeah. Serious Incident Response Team. They're literally cops who investigate cops, like from outside. They show up and they investigate you and you fly a desk until mm-hmm. you're cleared, which, by the way, is actually how it works. Uh, do you ever watch a show, The Rookie? No, but I know it. I'm, I, I'm familiar I, with it. I really enjoy that film. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I didn't see it for the first season, and YouTube kept throwing clips at me into that. And I'm, I'm hooked on it. Yeah. And actually, the most recent episode ends with one of the cops coming back on duty after a review from a killing. Okay. They make a point. Like, in the first season, Nathan Fillion's character kills someone, like his three weeks on the job sort of thing. And it's a big deal about how we go through this process. Yes, people get killed in that show, but it's not like a lot of these shows where the, like, I'm not sure if it's the bad guys we should be afraid of or it's, or it's the police, the way mm. they gun people down. My God. Yeah. It's a little bit ridiculous. Like, like I get it. American police have a reputation for being a little on the rough and you know shooty side. But if it were ever this bad. Yeah. If yeah, it were ever I, this I just, bad, there is... It just, I mean, there's just, there's no way. There's no, no way. It's impossible. Um, You're committing genocide at that point. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, like beware of the cops. Uh, but then of course I have a, I actually have an uncle who lives in Hollywood. He's not a star. He, he does corporate work mm-hmm. and he says the cops there are like the Gestapo. Yeah. I don't think that's fair, but he's a rich white Jewish dude. Yeah. And if he's frightened of the police in Beverly Hills driving a Beamer, can you imagine what it must be for some young black dude yeah. in South Central? Yeah. Um, so I get it, but Jesus Christ. But I'm not sure I believe the whole defund the police thing, but at the same time, there's got to be somewhere between 80s cop and monk. There's got to be a balance in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and definitely let's stay further away from the 80s cop movie slash TV show than mm-hmm. closer to it, you know? Anyway, you know, the, the sort of the, the bad guy dies. We get to see Martin Riggs visit his wife and yeah, it does say that she died in 1984 yeah. on the, but this takes place in 87. And I, and I, again, I think that's no one bothering to take the time to say, no, you need to, I know that's probably like, I get the impression that this script was written in like 85 or 86 and took some time Yeah, and no one bothered to tell the prop guy, Hey dude, you got to change the date on that. Mm-hmm. But again, that's clumsy, but that's, no one cared. Yeah. No, this movie made that, a lot of money. That's so not the point. Everyone that's loved not the point this. Of the yeah. film. 
then we, then it's Christmas Eve or no, Christmas Day, and Riggs shows up at the door. This teenager, you know, Murtaugh's door. Teenager shows up, you know, answers the door. He hands her his hollow point suicide bullet. Starts to walk away. Murtaugh comes out. Hey, come eat with me. Happy ending. Happy ending. Well, they bring the dog inside. They bring the dog inside. Isn't that cute? And it yeah. sort of ends. Yeah. You know, I'm being hard on this film, but I actually really like it. It, it is, like we said, there's many cop, buddy cop movies before and after. It's, it's literally its thing. It's yeah. its own thing. But this is the template for a reason, because it's a very good film. Yeah, it like at the end of the day, you're not watching a buddy cop movie in general, and you're specifically not watching Lethal Weapon because you want a piece of high art. You're no. not watching this because, oh man, I really want to do a, you know, a, a film uh, analysis project. Good action scenes and two good actors who play well off each other. Yeah, it is a it is a you know well written and well shot and yeah, you know I, I enjoy it. Like there's a it's funny there's a, a Canadian um, buddy cop movie they played on the. Uh, Anglo-Franco. Bon Cop, Bad Cop. Bon, and that Von Cop, Bad Cop. And it's good. Yeah, it's really Despite good. Despite the fact that they flog all the ridiculous Canadian uh, stereotypes, it's well done. Well, yeah, it's um, it's made for Canadians to look at it and laugh yeah. at. <laughs> but then think of Due South. You ever see that show? Due South. With Paul Gross? No, I don't think it's so. It's about a Mountie who winds up assigned to the embassy in Chicago okay. and somehow winds up teamed up with a Chicago detective. Oh, yeah. And it was Paul Gross. That's how he became a star. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the name of the the guy who played the uh, the Chicago cop, but he's a he's a Chicago cop. So you know what kind of person he is now, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's you know the, the polite Canadian versus the, the wise ass Chicago, Chicago cop. cop. Yeah. But it's the same thing. It's a buddy cop. But I think they're looking at this where you realize what makes it interesting isn't the crime; it's the characters playing off each yeah. other. Because around the same time, Red Heat came out. Mm-hmm. You know that one? Yeah. Yeah, the Jim Belushi, Arnold Schwarzenegger one? Yeah. It's a terrible film. I can't say as I've ever seen it. I'm familiar with it enough to know that I don't want to see it. It's <laughs> awful. But then Kindergarten Cop is also a buddy cop movie. Yeah. The difference is the buddies are the kids. Yeah. They're the comedy and he's the straight man. That's why it works. I know a lot of people hate it. I love it. Yeah. But this movie really does sort of set the mold that's the standard for how good these can be mm-hmm. and the fact that the second movie made a fuck ton of money and then they added Joe Pesci who I never liked his character so the, the more he's in the less I like him that's fair enough and then for the third one they added Rene Russo and by the fourth one they'd become too full of themselves and the, and the film made less money just 232 bucks ain't chump change but no. because it cost them so much money they stopped but then all these all these actors Rene Russo Joe Pesci Danny Glover Mel Gibson they all went off and did their own thing. Yep. They're all super successful actors. You know, I like buddy cop shows and movies. and They're fun when they're done well. Yeah. There was a great, you ever see Almost Human? No. Carl Urban, you know who he is? Yeah. He was in a, it only lasted 13 episodes. It takes place in the far future of the 2025s, 2025, okay. 2026. It was yeah. made about 10 years ago. Okay. It's about a cop who's assigned an android. Okay. And, at first, I didn't like it, and then someone pointed out, this isn't a science fiction movie written in 2008 or 2009. Yeah. This is an 80s cop movie that takes place in the future. And the minute I, I, I went and rewatched the episode I just watched, I went, holy shit, he's right. Yeah. This is an 80s cop, buddy, buddy cop show. Right. That just happens to be made in the 2008, 2009 era. Mm. It takes place in the 2020s. 
And that's goddamn clever. Yeah. It's sort of like the, you know, for other podcasts when we did Satellite Rain. Oh, yeah. It's got that 80s synthwave thing mm-hmm. going. Oh, okay, okay. It works. You know, sometimes it works. And, and, and so this is, you know, what they're looking at. So mm-hmm. so any final thoughts on Lethal Weapon other than you're too old for this shit? Uh, yeah. I mean, okay, at the end of the day, Lethal Weapon is a good movie. Yeah. Um, and I come back to it time and time again. I draw the delineation between a film and a movie, and this yep. is a movie, and this is a good movie. Popcorn a, movie, yeah. Yeah, it's great to just go and turn your brain off and go watch, and it's got some smart moments, and it's got a couple of interesting little bits where, like, if you pay attention, you see what's coming up next. Yeah. And, but they made four of these and are making a fifth one for a reason. Theoretically, they're anyway. Theoretically. They're, we'll they're fun. Yeah, yeah. They're good movies to watch. Yeah. And go. as you put it, the, so is it the, the second best uh, cop Christmas movie? Yeah, <laughs> the, the, yeah the, the, the The objectively inferior cop Christmas movie. Oh yeah, Die Hard is a much better film. Yeah. <laughs> but that's because they had, I mean, they had, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Alan Rickman. And it's hard, yes, to, well, it's hard yeah. to go wrong with Alan Rickman. Well, yeah. Um, I, I really like this. I mean, I've watched it twice in the last 24 hours, so it's a little much for me. But yeah. And the second one I got kind of bored with. Maybe that's because I watched the, the first one twice. And But I'm not going to go watch the third one. I'm certainly not going to watch the fourth one. I'm definitely not going to watch the fifth one. Because I don't think they work anymore. Like, we, the world has moved on. Yeah. These movies are frozen in time, as they were made in 1987. Yeah. So. But I recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is worth watching. And it's... If you want to talk about templates going forward... In terms of buddy cop movies, this is it. So here's a seminal 1980s movie. But, yeah. So I guess we'll just leave it there. There it is. Because I'm too old for this. I'm too old for this shit.